Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show, that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. We are back. You're listening to McNamara on Money, the South Shore's very own talk financial talk radio show. Uh, what Educating investors of the South Shore. Is that the new tagline? And the Merrimack Valley. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm never going to remember that. I'm never going to remember that. Uh, <laughs> Merrimack Valley. I was, you know, it was funny that commercial about about Arden and her shoes with the skates, you know, because yeah. like in the commercial, it's like when she turns six and I'm like, oh my gosh, she's almost eight now. Yeah, uh, we should update that commercial. And you know how many times she used those sparkly shoes when we finally got them for her? Like, like three times. Well, the, the fact, the fact is she, we made her wait and she's a much better person for it. Stronger yes. person. Yeah. I know. Okay. And she's very cute. My baby girl. Yes. Uh, this is a good opportunity. Also, I don't know that we have a commercial running for this, but do we have a commercial running that we have a podcast of the show? Somebody was asking me via Facebook messenger last week, uh, where he could find a recording of the show. Cause he uh, was interested in the FAQ show. So, uh, we, we take every recording of McNamara on money and we, uh, use that same audio for our podcast, which is also called McNamara on money. So generally like we record, uh, shows on Saturday and they're generally available like Monday or Tuesday of the following week. So just within a few days there. And so you, if you have a podcast app on your phone, you can just search McNamara on money on any podcast app you can subscribe or you can one-off um, look for shows via the podcast app. So if you ever miss a show or part of a show, you can always check out our podcast also called McNamara on money. Um, all right. So we were for the, for the remainder of the show, Kirk, unless you have anything else surrounding market timing, I was going to get into some of the other frequently asked questions that we put together from last week's show. Do you have anything else on don't waste your time timing the markets? Um, I mean, the only thing that I had kind of uh, queued up uh, was an article about like the, uh, you know, the history of presidential elections in the market. Uh, so I don't know if, if, you know, we could as a timing thing or maybe that's an FAQ or, uh, you know, I just I have that floating around. But um, uh, I don't have any like I don't have any concise comments. I was just kind of kind of read some of the article so we can save that or I can do it now, whatever you like. Um, yeah, that's fine. Go ahead. Uh, all right, let me find it. So you can just, I can just kind of oh. read some of it and then. While you're, while you're looking for that, I don't know what you're going to find regarding the last political election, but I can remember, I can remember in the, on the, in the 2016 election, 
I I didn't think there was a chance in you know where that that uh, Mr. Trump would win the presidency. So I can remember late that night going to bed and be like, oh my god, he's going to win this thing. And the next day, I was prepared to I was like prepared for Armageddon walking in the office the next day. I thought the markets were going to tank. I thought I I was prepared for phone call after phone call of nervous client. I was prepared for the market to be down 10% in a day. And the market was like skyrocketed. It was crazy. But even my dad and I were like, what is happening? (laughs) It's just so unpredictable. I, I, I just, yeah, I mean, and, and, you know, then in retrospect, you're like, okay, well, yeah, he's a very business friendly president. He's, you know, he's lower taxes and, you know, so like, okay, that makes sense. It always makes sense in retrospect, but um, yeah, I was really prepared for a lot of nervous phone calls that day. And the market was like, like through the roof. I don't remember the numbers, but crazy. So the, uh, in, you know, no particular reason, but the article that I pulled up is, is on, um, is on Schwab.com as in Charles Schwab. And this article is just called stock market performance in presidential election years. Uh, so this is specific to the actual, you know, just the year, uh, in which, uh, an election occurs. Uh, and this article was dated May 22nd of 2020. So it is, you know, pretty recent. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'll just read, you know, a couple of things and you can stop me and interject at any time. Um, so it says, you know, and this is in quotes, uh, looking back at the performance of the S&P 500 index since 1928, uh, the Schwab Center for Financial Research found that the market ended on a positive note in 17 of the past 23 presidential election years, huh. uh, or 74% of the time, with an average annual return of 7.1%. Um, that, like, that like almost exactly parallels the statistic that markets go up two thirds of the time, like two thirds of years markets are, have a positive return. Yeah. That almost exactly parallels it. Yep. Uh, right. Which, which if we were to stop right there, you could say, okay, the elections have no effect on the market. Uh, we could kind of stop there. Um, the next, the next paragraph says, you know, in quotes, uh, the two calendar years following an election tended to be slightly less positive, however, with average annual returns of 5.8% and 4.5% respectively. Okay. So, and end quote, um, you know, that's, um, those are, you know, those are not great numbers, but they're not, they're not bad numbers. Um, you know, yeah, there's, there's you know, slightly lower than, than long-term averages, but, uh, you know, as, as averages go, uh, not, not bad numbers. Um, I think there, I was looking at something that was like something about like administration changes do have, I think it's, and I guess that what you just said makes sense that like, you know, there's change in policy or whatever, maybe the the year or two after an election, if we have a change in the presidency, there was something, there was a negative statistic about an administration changing. Okay. I think, I think, I think, I think that does get touched on here in a minute. Um, Let's see. The next paragraph says, uh, in in quotes, the third calendar year after an election historically has been the most fruitful, ending in positive territory, a whopping 82% of the time with an average annual return of 13.7%. And what was that? What was that one? Uh, that's the third calendar year after an election. Oh, like we have like, you know, things have like settled. Yeah. Things have kind of stabilized, you know, there's uncertainty maybe the first, the first year or two. Um, and then then by the third year, people have kind of forgotten about it, (laughs) I think. Uh, and, or, and, or are accepting of whatever's going on and, and, and back to back, you know, money's back in the market if anybody took it out and, um, yeah. So average return of 13.7% the third year after an election. Okay. Uh, There's nothing in there about it, like a changeover in the administration, I think, has historically been bad for the market, though. Yeah, let me see. Uh... Okay. Um, okay. So here's a, here's an, another paragraph uh, in quotes. Uh, Still, I'm often asked whether the market has has historically performed better under Democratic or Republican presidents. Uh, if we look at the numbers alone, the short answer is Democrats. Uh, oh, interesting. Since 1929, the total return of the S&P 500 has averaged 57.4% under Democratic presidential administrations versus just 16.6% under Republicans. That's interesting. You know, I wonder if part, I'm looking at a chart that actually shows that, um, yeah, that shows that it was about 50-50, but don't forget under, when Obama was president, right after the Great Recession, right? Obama was elected in, 
uh, 08. Right? Nine, ten, nine, ten. No. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Terms. Yeah. So yep. don't forget, Obama pulled the, the country out of the great. He was he was president for many of the years following the great recession. So there was great expansion in that regard. Anyway, and that, uh, I, I think I think most you know most people think yeah. that Republicans are better for, you know, for the uh, for the economy and right and for the markets. And so this is saying, you know, the opposite. Being more business friendly. Right. right. Yeah, exactly. Lowering taxes. Right. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. So here's, all um, right. all right. So, the, and then here's a paragraph about, uh, about, uh, you know, changes. Um, so in quotes, uh, let's see, more reliable is the market's influence on election outcomes, uh, to wit. Uh, when the S&P 500 has risen in the three months before an election, the incumbent party generally has gone on to win the White House. When it has fallen, the incumbent party has generally lost. Oh, uh, interesting. Since 1928, this trend has been broken just three times. Yeah, that eight, makes sense. At 87% success rate. Uh, and that it has, hasn't missed since 1980. Uh, That's quote. interesting. Um, All right, cool. Anything else on that or should we move to our FAQs? I've got a few, I think I've got a few interesting other FAQs. Um, uh, past performance is no guarantee of future results. Right, of course. <laughs> Thank you for that disclosure. <laughs> um, all right. So again, let's just let's let's uh, tie up market timing. But uh, what you should take from that is don't waste your time timing the market because you could be wrong and that could be detrimental to your return. Um, the, I want to continue the FAQs for an FA and the the next few like when we did FAQs last week, there were. Um, many surrounding investing in market timing and what to do with money and things like that. These ones are kind of random. So um, like I, I guess I'll just start with one of the questions that I get most frequently is, are you a fiduciary? That's a pretty easy one to answer. So let's just pick that one off. Um, let's just define quickly the word fiduciary. So, so a fiduciary is someone who's legally bound, uh, required to act in the best interest of their client. So a financial, so some, so a financial professional who is a fiduciary is legally obligated to act in the best interest of his or her client without regard to the advisor's own financial interest. So, um, there are the, the, first of all, people should understand that the term financial advisor is not a regulated term. Pretty much anyone can call themselves a financial advisor. There's no, there's no oversight of that term. Anyone can say, I'm a financial advisor, I'm a financial professional. And that's not a regulated term. The term fiduciary, uh, in our world, the term that is regulated is certified financial planner. There's also in the in the world of in, in investments and investment analysis. There's also like chartered financial analysts. Those are those are regulated. Those are terms that you have to earn and and uh, maintain that ongoing. So like in our world, like Kirk, uh, me and Kirk are are Kirk and I are financial advi- uh, Excuse me, <laughs> financial advisors, but we're certified financial planner professionals. So that CFP designation, that's a regulated term. So, uh, so someone who's a CFP or a certified financial planner is someone who has, uh, you know, completed certain course coursework to earn that designation and maintain that designation ongoing via continuing education, uh, et cetera. So, so that's a regulated term, but the term financial advisor is not, um, and the term fiduciary, we're getting this question frequently because the term fiduciary, I feel like it has been like a buzzword in the last decade or so. I don't really remember it. Like I started here seven, what, 17, 18 years ago. And I don't really like remember that term as a buzzword back then. It's, it's more frequent. I remember discussed right now. I remember, I remember it, to me, it became really prevalent, maybe like, I don't know, maybe like seven or eight years ago. Uh, yeah, is when okay. it was when it started to become like really big in the industry. Yeah. Uh, and so, so um, in the world of financial professionals, there are registered investment advisory firms, and there are advisors in those firms. So McNamara Financial, for example, is a federally registered 
registered investment advisor, which means we're an independent firm. We're not affiliated with a large investment institution. So advisors in our firm are what we call uh, uh, investment advisor representatives of a registered investment advisor. That's yeah, kind of it's, it's, easy, it's, it's easy. We're IARs of an RIA. Yeah, and it, it really is like you really should use some different letters, but we're IARs. So, so investment professionals that are advisors in an RIA firm, a registered investment advisory firm, we are fiduciaries. When you are an advisor in an RIA, a registered investment advisory firm, you are you have to act in a fiduciary capacity for your clients. So a federally registered uh, investment advisory firm is, we're overseen by the Securities and Exchange Commission. That's our regulatory body. Some smaller firms are, are overseen by the state, but whatever state they're uh, registered in, but larger firms, I think it's over 50 million, or is it over 25 million now, or 50 million? It was, uh, it large, was, it was 50. I don't know if it changed or not. Yeah. I think it may have dropped to 25, but anyway, larger firms are federally registered um, so any financial advisor in an RIA is a fiduciary. So we can answer that question very easily. Are you a fiduciary? Yes, because McNamara Financial is a registered investment advisor. I'm an IAR or an investment advisor professional in that RIA. So by nature, I have I am legally bound. I could be sanctioned, I could be fined, I could be uh, you know, stripped of my ability to act as a professional if I was not acting in my client's best interest. Translation, we, ha- we are required by law to give our clients advice that is in their best interest, meaning we can't be thinking in our minds about what is going to earn, what, what advice can I give this client to earn me a bunch of money? That's a terrible way to run a business anyway, but we're, we're legally obligated to not advise our clients in that fashion. So that's super easy. Uh, yeah, um, can I just, us. I was just yeah. gonna say, so like a good, you know, a good example is, you know, sometimes we meet somebody new, you know, they come in, you know, they would like to work with us and, but maybe their existing, existing money is maybe in an annuity or something or some kind of a contract where, you know, they might have to pay a penalty uh, to, to take those funds and, and move them to us so that we can, so that we can manage that money and work together. And and, you know, so we'll, you know, we have to, we have to make, you know, darn sure that we know exactly what the consequences are and, 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 and tell the client about that. And, mm-hmm. and if it, and, and if, and if we think it, and if it doesn't make sense, we tell them it doesn't make <laughs> sense. Um, and obviously, obviously they can, you know, they can override that if they want, but, you know, we are very careful about making sure that, you know, we're not doing anything that uh, is detrimental to their, you know, to their finances or to their, you know, to their long-term returns. Yeah. And another great example of that is some people that have pensions through like a former employer, for example, or through their, or through their current employer. Sometimes when people have pensions, they have the option to either take the lump sum or a pension or like a, a monthly payout, for example, like a, like a lifetime income payout. Uh, and and a, that, that's a great example of that, you know, they're like, what should I do? I have these two options. That's a great example of someone who's not a fiduciary could just look at that and say, you should take the lump sum because that financial professional is theoretically getting compensated for uh, either managing or recommending a portfolio and receiving a commission uh, for if they take that lump sum and they, they invest it with that professional. So so someone who's not a fiduciary, so like uh, a, a financial professional uh, at a broker dealer, for example, um, can't, could just, that, that wasn't affiliated with an RIA, that, financial professional doesn't have to do the analysis to really determine what's in the client's best interest. So there have been many times when uh, someone, a potential client or a client has asked me, what's, what should I do? Should I take the monthly income or the lump sum? And, and we have to go through some analysis. And there have been many times where that, that pension payout, that monthly income payout looks to be better in terms of, you know, long-term return and, and uh, better maximization of, of that, you know, maximizing that benefit. There have been many times where I've told people to take the pension and that's not in my best interest for sure. Uh, but it, but actually it is because when you give, of course, when you give good advice to people and they recognize that and they work with you for a long time and they refer their friends and family. And so it's a great way to run a business, of course. Um, but that's just a good example of, of the difference between someone who's acting 
a financial professional acting like a fiduciary and one who's not. So just one more thing on that, like that many financial uh, professionals, me, uh, me and Kirk, for example, actually all the advisors at McNamara Financial are certified financial planners. So the CFP board is the board that certifies uh, CFP professionals and and they, they develop the curriculum that we need to satisfy in order to achieve those marks and the continuing ed uh, requirements and things like that. The, the fiduciary, uh, sorry, excuse me, the CFP board has standards of conduct and their first, under the first section of the CFP standard of conduct for CFP professionals is section A, duties owed to client, number one, fiduciary duty. So any certified financial planner professional who carries those marks and uses those marks is required first and foremost to, to act as a fiduciary, this is the CFP board. You can actually just find this on your website. Anyone can just go to a CFP.net and find the, the code of ethics and standards of conduct. And the first one says, at all times when providing financial advice to a client, a CFP professional must act as a fiduciary and therefore act in the best interests of the client. The following duties must be fulfilled. Then it goes into loyalty, duty of care, follow client instructions, integrity, things like that. But that is like, you know, any CFP professional not acting in that capacity could be stripped of those marks. And that is not something that you want to be stripped of based on uh, the stress of going through that curriculum and sitting for that two day exam. <laughs> I would never want to do that again. Right. But, um, but yeah. Plus it'll be on your, you know, it's going to be on your record. Um, uh, right. You know, so anybody, right. anybody that's, you know, I mean, that's a good, a good rule in general. If you're, you know, if you're trying to find a, a, you know, an advisor to work with, you should probably, you know, you should do a background check and, uh, yeah you know, make sure they're in good standing and haven't had any history of, uh, you know, offenses of any kind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So I get that one a lot. So I just wanted to touch on that one. Um, oh, we've only got a couple minutes, um, before the next break, but then I've got a few more to go over after that. Um, what are you, I guess two minutes, three minutes, about three minutes, three, three minutes. minutes. Yep. All right. Um, where should we go next? Um, one, one more, what I, maybe we'll get into this a little bit after the break, but one one thing I want to talk. Sometimes I talk to people and they and they're um, in our world, Kirk. You know that you and I we talk about accounts and we talk about portfolios. And really, a portfolio is like an investment strategy. You could you could say a portfolio is like your collection of assets, right? But when we talk about when we use the term portfolio, it's like your investment strategy. So I I think that there are some people that could get confused between an account and an investment strategy. Like for example, if I'm talking to someone about opening up a, an IRA or opening up a Roth IRA or or opening up a non-retirement investment account. I, sometimes I get, or, or even opening up a 529 college savings account. That's just, when we talk about those things, that's just the account, like the title, the ownership from a tax perspective, what's the taxation of that chunk of money. That's an account or what we call a registration. I think some people get that confused with investment strategy. Like sometimes I get the question, well, if I open up this 529 college savings account, what is it going to earn? Right. And and I, so I I wanted to make I just wanted to talk just for a couple minutes. We don't have to get super in detail about this one, but you, you only have you only have about one minute left. Okay, good. After the break, we'll sum up the difference between an account, which is just a titling of a certain chunk of money, and investment strategy and how really you can have any investment strategy in any one of those accounts and the account registration itself does not determine your return potential, your your investment strategy. Those are two totally separate things and separate discussions. So let's just touch on that after the break. And then I wanted, and then if we have time, I wanted to talk about my favorite topic in the whole wide world, which is Roth IRAs, because we get that question all the time and I love it. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening yeah, to Yeah, we, we, we got a few seconds. I was just going to say, um, okay. you know, yes, I was just going to echo that, that I definitely get that question. Like, they're like, well, I've heard about this Roth IRA. You know, is that going to earn the same as my other IRA? Right. And, and right, yeah, that's right. so yeah, so I definitely get that question. Uh, I get that question a lot. Yeah. Um, all right, so yeah, we can we can touch uh, get into that when we get back after the break. All right, you're listening to McNamara on Money, the South Shore's very own financial talk radio show. We will be right back.
And we're back. You're listening to McNamara on Money, educating the investors of the South Shore and the Merrimack Valley. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, uh, joined today, I think, by my husband, Kirk Reed, and business partner. And uh, I, I got the luxury of being at home via Zoom today, and Kirk had, uh, had to head into studio. Oh, I lost your video there for a minute. I wasn't sure if you were still there. Um, we were just, we were just, I was just texting uh, Kirk off air. I um, anyone that know that knows me personally, or actually my clients know that I am a total dog lover, and any of my clients have seen uh, or met uh, probably all of my dogs at some point in time. We have uh, three dogs at our busy household, and um, <laughs> I was just messaging Kirk uh, off air about getting the pet insurance for our newest addition to our brood, uh, our little Chihuahua Lulu. And um, we never had pet insurance on the other two, two animals. And goodness, we've had some medical costs as they've aged. No, I was just thinking, Kirk, we, we've done insurance shows in the past. <laughs> I just thought it would be funny to do a show on pet insurance. Everyone has a dog these days. Everyone has adopted a dog since COVID-19 started. It is like crazy, like the dog adoption uh, boom. And we should do a show on pet insurance if I can get someone from like the ASPCA to come on and talk about it. <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny? Uh, can you hear me, Kirk? Oh, I can't hear you guys anymore. Okay. Uh, oh no, I can. Okay, we're good. I think I had my volume down. But okay. anyway, I just thought that would be we could we could add it to our next insurance show, a little segment on pet insurance. Yes. Um, I don't know the statistics, but I feel like like seventy five percent of people I know have a dog, so I feel like this would be pretty relevant. Yeah. No, I feel like in the past we've always kind of <laughs> wished that we'd done it. So I think I think if we can still do it on this one when she's young, yeah. I think that's a good idea. Yeah. Exactly. Anyway, I digress. Okay, we have about 25 minutes to wrap up our FAQs for an FA. This is part two, continuation, continuation excuse me, from last week. Uh, if you're listening to us here on the South Shore, you can ask us any questions. You've got about 25 minutes to call in. Don't be shy, 781-837-4900 if you have any questions that we haven't yet covered. Um, yeah, so I, we, I just wanted to like uh, just clarify when, just clarify the difference between an investment account and an investment strategy, which we might call a portfolio. So, because yeah, I think there's this misconception that if you choose a certain a type of account, whether it's like IRA versus Roth IRA, that you might be also choosing your investment strategy at the same time, which is not the case. You can, an account is just, or we might call that a registration. That's just, uh, basically from a tax perspective, the setup of this chunk of money. So we have, we have all, we have different types of retirement accounts. Everyone is familiar with the term 401k, IRA, Roth IRA. These are just different types of ownership where you can put money into these different types of accounts. And we have non-retirement types of accounts, which basically a non-retirement, or we call it a non-qualified account. Basically that just means there's no, uh, there's really no tax benefits. Like a 401k and an IRA, you get the tax benefit in year of contribution of, of reducing your taxable income. You get a tax deduction, uh, for example, in, in a tax benefit of a Roth IRA is, is uh, tax-free withdrawals in the future. So tax-free, all your earnings in that account, if you satisfy minimum requirements, take it out over 59 and a half and have it open for five years, you get the benefit of tax-free withdrawals. So a retirement account or in our world called a qualified account just means there's like some tax bells and whistles, some, some things that benefit you either now or later from a tax perspective. And those types of accounts also come with limitations regarding how much you can put in or whether you're even eligible to put money in. So those types of accounts, um, that's just like a, that's just like an ownership structure. And then the other type of account are non-qualified. And that just kind of means there's like no tax bells and whistles. You're just gonna, you have investment earnings and you're going to pay some taxes on that. And there's, and there's nothing like super special from a tax perspective on that. And it's just like an ownership structure and it determines taxation of your money. So, so account itself has no, um, it, it, it's not, does not determine 
earnings potential. So within an account, like you would think of the account as like the box where you put your money. You think of it like it's like a shoebox and you put your money into it. And then once the money is in that box, then you pick your investment strategy. And that's where you'll have uh, portfolio choices, right? Are you, do you want, do you literally want this to be like a shoebox and the money stays in cash or money market? Or do you want a conservative investment strategy or do you want an aggressive investment strategy? So uh, the, the box itself, the registration, the account type has no bearing on your your potential investment performance. I just, I just, your, I just wanted, wanted to be clear. This is just, I just thought of something funny. Like if you, you know, if you had, if you actually had a, a real shoebox and you write IRA on it and put money in there, you cannot deduct that. Just, <laughs> just, just to be clear, there's no no accountant that's going to buy that strategy. Uh, but yeah, no, I, and I, I had one serious thing. So like, you know, an IRA, you know, is an IRA regardless of where you open it, but but depending on where you open it, they could have different types of investment options or limitations. You know, for example, some people open an IRA at their local bank. And, you know, if you do that, it's, you know, it's still an IRA, you know, any money you put in, you can deduct from your, you know, from your taxable income that year. And it's going to be taxes income when you take it out. But as far as the investments, which is what we're talking about here, you know, it's going to be limited to, you know, bank, you know, bank type uh, instruments, you know, which is going to be, um, you know, maybe a, a CD uh, or something like that. And it's going to be, you know, very low, low returns, um, but it's going to be, you know, nice, nice and safe bank money. So, and there are people that like that and people that do that and that, and that's fine. But, you know, so you can open IRA at the bank, but it's going to be limited, you know, very limited as far as what it's going to go into. It's not going to be an investment per se, uh, unless they have an investment branch. But but if it's just a regular, you know, bank, uh, it's just going to be a CD or something like that uh, versus, you know, doing it at a brokerage firm um, you, where you can have basically, you know, unlimited options as far as what you can invest those funds in. Um, yeah, perfect. Okay. Are we good on that? I have like two more that I want to go through before we have to wrap up today. Yeah. Um, this one's just kind of funny. Like some people, sometimes I'll, um, have either phone conversations or meetings with people that I haven't met before and they're interested in, um, you know, finding out what we do. And sometimes I just get this question like, well, what do you do? Well, you know, there are, there are people in the world that have obviously that have, that have never worked with a financial professional, and sometimes I sit with people and I'm like, oh, you know, hey, nice to meet you. What you know, what can I do for you? Why are you here? And they're like, you tell me. Yeah. And some people are just like, well, what do you do? <laughs> and I'm just kind of like, they're not they're not really sure what it's like to work with a financial professional because you know I've said this to people before and I've said this on air not you know not everyone needs or wants a financial professional in their life I mean there I could go on and on about reasons to have a financial professional in your life uh, uh, you know obviously but um, there you certainly don't um, there are certainly people that that do it on their own and don't need a financial professional so I just think that's kind of a funny question but um, but it makes sense. Like there are just people that don't know what it's like to work with a financial professional. So um, I can't speak for all. So, so one thing people should know is that, is that uh, sometimes investment firms or financial professionals in investment firms, they might do different things. Generally speaking, there's uh, two or, well, actually it could go on from there, but the two, um, well, the, the primary thing that most investment professionals help clients with is is investing and, and, and or managing client money. So asset management, investment management is like first and foremost. Having said that, there are some firms that don't do that and they just do planning services, which we'll talk about in a moment. But, uh, but first and foremost at McNamara Financial, for example, but most investment firms out there you hire an invest. You hire a financial professional, financial advisor. Um, you're hiring them likely for for them to invest your money for you. So, in a you're, you're hiring them for suitable investment recommendations for 
recommendations regarding best, most suitable type of account for you. Like we just talked about uh, accounts, you know, for tax reasons, the, what's, what's the most suitable type of account for you going forward at this time or going forward? What, what is, what's the, what's the best investment strategy for you? What's the optimum portfolio that's appropriate for you? What are the investments that we should put in that portfolio? So someone to just take the burden some people find it a burden. Some people enjoy managing their own money, but it, the financial professionals are there to help you invest your money in a professional and suitable way. Um, so investment management. So people have XYZ chunk of money, you know, old 401k, rollover IRA, Roth IRA. They might've received an inheritance. They might have a bunch of cash in the bank. They might have just, you know, whatever chunk of money it is, uh, financial professionals are there to invest it for you, and that just and that means, um, you know, maximizing a long-term rate of return for a stated level of comfort with risk. And um, you know, someone that's uncomfortable with risk might we can certainly maximize your rate of return within those guidelines, right? And and so it's sort of you know maximize current return for a stated level of risk, which might mean. Uh, maybe some people are uncomfortable with risk and that means preserve portfolio with, uh, you know, maximize growth while preserving the portfolio. So minimizing downside. So there's all different ways to do that, but asset management first and foremost for most financial advisory firms. Um, but really like I call this like our value add really our my passion anyway, and, and really the value that we provide and we bring to the table in addition to that asset management is what we call financial planning. So that's a very generic term, of course, very hard to understand, but it's it's modeling your financial life and figuring out what's um, what what is possible for you, what's achievable for you, what goals are achievable for you, and or what uh, what can you achieve with your stated amount of you know, existing assets and ability to add to them. You can kind of, we can, we can work those models in different way, but mo for most people it's, um, you know, helping them figure out when they can retire, uh, what they, or, or what they need to do to achieve a stated retirement goal, how much they need to be saving, where should they be saving? How should it be invested? Uh, when can you pull off retirement without risking running out of money? Uh, will you, you know, I'm retired. Will I run out of money? Help me figure out what I should be drawing in order to not run out of money. Uh, that's like the primary financial goal for most people, figuring out when they can stop working or slow down or take a pay cut or, or what have you. Can they gift to their children? Can they afford to gift to their children? Um, you know, can we afford the second home? Um, what can I afford to help my kids with for college? How much do I need to save to send my kids to private school? Um, so it's, it, we can just do all sort of number crunching and modeling and we have our brains of course, but really sophisticated software that helps us do those, do that modeling for clients. And that's like, we've done that on the air a bunch of times and we'll continue to do that because it's just really, really helpful for people to, um, to, you know, see some of that just like, uh, listen to us walk through that actual process so they can understand what financial planning is. But that's really our value add. Um, so some advisory firms just manage money. They don't do financial planning. Some firms just do financial planning. They're called planning only firms. They do not manage money. They just charge like a project fee or an hourly fee or a monthly fee for planning and advice. Um, some firms like our firm, for example, does both. And then there are some like what we call wealth management firms that also can provide legal services like estate planning services. Some firms provide tax services like tax preparation and tax planning. That's something that I personally want to be able to offer my clients in the future. We currently don't do that. Um, but yeah, some, some, of the, some of the larger firms like sort of have this all all encompassing everything's under one roof type approach. Um, generally that's, you know, some wealthier people, that's very appropriate for them to have all those sort of things in one place. Or some people just like to have all those things in one place. But, um, but yeah, I get that. I get that question a lot. And I think that people um, should understand that they're not all firms are created equal. Certainly not all advisors are created equal. Obviously you, you don't want to have, you know, work with someone that you trust and have a relationship with and, and, and enjoy working with. But, 
um, firms and services provided, and of course, pricing structure, which we talked about last time, um, is is not all the same. So, like you know, sometimes we meet people and they're kind of talking with a firm or two or three, and that's cool. Just you know, make sure you understand what the differences are in terms of services provided. I um, I was going to say most of the, you know not not all, but I would say the majority of the folks that come to us for the first time are you know would you say would, would you agree that maybe they're in their you know, mid to late fifties, um, you know, they're, you know, they're, common, they're, yeah. they're getting, yeah. cl- they're getting close to retirement. And, and this is maybe the first time they think about, you know, seriously looking at their kind of retirement plan. Yeah. Um, so that's, that, I would say that's when a lot of the people come to us, um, because it's, you know, it's kind of getting real, uh, and they, and they want to make sure that they're doing the right things and, um, and, and, or see what they need to do, if anything, to, to make it, you know, make their plan look better. But, you know, you know, as far as what we do, I mean, we would, we would certainly advocate that people come to us much earlier, um, because people, you know, people are faced with financial decisions all throughout their lives. And, and oftentimes, you know, decisions and, or, you know, perhaps mistakes that they make, um, when they're younger can, can have a long-term effect on their, on their financial success. You know, they might, you know, they might need to do something, they might need some money or they might want to do something and maybe they don't realize, you know, what their options are as far as, far as financing. And, and maybe they don't have somebody to kind of chat with about that. Um, and they might end up taking money from a, you know, from a retirement plan prematurely, you know, paying taxes and a penalty, as opposed to maybe doing something else that they could have done that could have, you know, allowed their retirement plan to grow. You know, you know, you, you talk about that in your commercials and things about, you know, saving early and often and, and, and the power of compounding. And if, if you, if you rob your retirement plan to do something where maybe you could have borrowed some money, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you could have borrowed money at a cheap interest rate, you know, depending on rates and, or, you know, you need to understand all your options. And I don't think everybody understands all those options uh, if they don't have somebody to, to maybe talk to. Um, so I think it's not, it shouldn't, it shouldn't just be for people getting close to retirement. It should be for, you know, people that are, um, you know, at any stage. I mean, yes, yes, there, there is an age where it's too young, Um but, you know, I would say starting, you know, starting around maybe 30 or something, that's not a bad time to maybe, you know, start chatting with a financial professional. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up. It's, it's, um, there are so many times when I meet someone in their fifties and sixties and I am just like, I, I just think to myself, I don't, I don't want to make anyone feel bad, but I think to myself, I really wish I had met these people younger. Uh, because maybe they wouldn't have done X, Y, Z, right? Yeah. And um, in fact, probably not if they had someone in their life to bounce those ideas off of. I do think that for the general public, there's like, a, first of all, there might be a little bit of a misconception about who should be working with a financial professional. And, and I think, unfortunately, our business is structured, not, not McNamara Financial, but uh, the industry as a whole is sort of structured in such a way that it can be hard for younger people with not much money to find an advisor to work with. Because uh, let's face it, people that are older, 50s and 60s, for example, usually have more money that an advisor can invest than someone in their 20s and 30s, right? That's just like through the normal course of, that's just normal because people in their 50s and 60s have had time to accumulate money. You know, of course, people younger receive inheritances and things like that, or they just make great money and have low expenses and and build a nest egg early. But um, I I think they're like, sometimes I'll meet people and they're kind of like, you know, I don't, I don't even know if I should be here. I don't know that I have enough money to work with you. And I I feel sad. I feel sad when people say that to me because yes, of course there's like, you know, for example, I'm, I'm a working mom. I have limited ability to, I can't work 80 hour work weeks, right? I have limited ability to take on clients. And that's just, that's just, unfortunately it's normal, but it makes me feel sad. Um, And because I, I want to be able to work with those people that don't yet have their dollars saved, but they've got great motivation and great potential and, and they'll have that nest egg at some point in the future and I can help them build that. Um, th- there's just, unfortunately, our industry as a whole is structured in such a way that 
that most financial professionals want to work with the older, wealthier people because they're being compensated more uh, in, more for that. Um, so like some some investment firms will have minimums, will have stated minimums. You can't, you cannot work with us. They don't say you cannot work with us, but they, they'll have stated minimums, meaning they will not take on clients unless particular client household has X dollars uh, for that firm to manage. And, and um, that's just the way that businesses, advisors only have so much time. We're all human. We only have so much time uh, to give. And, and, and some businesses are structured that they have minimum. I, we don't publish a minimum. If, if a firm did have an account minimum, it would be published on their compliance documents called their ADV. And actually I think the new form CRS um, has whether or not the, the firm has minimums in it. So you can find that information before you even uh, call a firm or some firms might have it on their website. Um, we don't, McNamara Financial, for example, we don't publish a minimum. We don't have a stated household minimum for clients to work with us. Having said that, like I kind of say to people, like I have like a soft minimum because I just have to be um, cognizant of my time and, and, and the ability that I have to give to clients. And, um, you know, I think that's just, that's, that's human nature. That's just reality. Having said that I, I have taken on and I will continue to take on, uh, some younger clients that I just recognize. First of all, it's hard to meet someone and not want to help them. <laughs> right. That's just really hard to, to turn people away. But, um, I certainly, I've taken on some younger clients that might not have much money that we can manage now, but when you recognize, when you recognize potential, it, it's, it's, I don't know, and uh, what's the word? It's exciting, I guess. And, and you can, you're like, I, I want to help this person. We're going to grow old together and, and I'm going to help this person, you know, achieve their financial dreams. I hate to be so cheesy, but I can totally get like, can feel like that sometimes. So, um, you know, there, there are people throughout my life that, that I've had to say, you know, I'm not sure we're a great fit. And, but then I, I certainly have, I have some clients in their twenties and thirties that might not have a ton of money under manage with us, but they're motivated and they want to save. And I'm like, you know what, if a 28 year old, for example, walks into a financial advisor's office looking for help and they have, you know, five, $10,000 to their name and they want to save and they want to retire young, like, that's awesome. I, 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 I respect that. And I think that that is just awesome. And I'm just like, you know, there, and there have been times when I've said, sure, that, you know, that doesn't really, um, uh, that, that that's their, their assets that we can manage are quite different from some of our other clients in terms of size, but, but I, that's awesome. And I respect those people and I want those, I want to know those people. And, and I just, and I, and like, and like I said, those are the people that, if you turn them away now and they make mistakes over the next 20, 30 years and they come back and you're like, you don't want those people to, to, to make those mistakes because th there are those people in their fifties and sixties that we meet and we're like, Oh, I wish I had worked with you sooner, you know, cause I just feel like I could have helped. So well, yeah, uh, I mean, we, we feel, yeah. we feel responsible, right. For our clients yeah. and we yeah. feel, you know, um, you know, if, if they make a bad decision, either, you know, hopefully not under our, you know, on our watch, but you know, if they go out and do something without telling us, we're always like, you know, we always, we kind of feel offended. Like, you know, why didn't you ask us about that? Like why, you know, but, yeah. uh, but people do that sometimes, but you know, I was a question I thought of, you know, a question that, that I get, you know, from, from new people is, um, you know, they might say, who am I going to work with? Uh, you know, am I going to work with you? Uh, or who, yeah. who am I going to talk to? And I think that's, you know, that's, that's one of the things that maybe sets us apart is that, you know, you have a dedicated advisor that you work with and you're always going to talk to me or Alyssa or Justin or Mike. And, um, you know, it, we're always going to be there. You know, we might not be able to answer the phone when you call. A lot of times we do, um, when somebody calls, but you know, we always get back to them and it's always us. Uh, you know, and so we know, we know what's going on with their situation and, and, and their, their background. And so we can give them, give them advice and answers, uh, because we know what's going on and you're not, you know, you're not just getting XYZ person on the phone that you might, you know, you might get at a, at a bigger firm. Um, yeah. and so I think well, that that's a good, that's a good, you know, that's a plus in my, in my book. Yeah. Well, um, we'll, we'll win in that regarding turnover. We'll win all the time against the huge firms, right? Because we, we have, we've had 0% advisor turnover in our firm, 0%. 
Right, and I in another well, you know <laughs> another thing, and you know some some people might might look at this as a, uh, as a as a negative, but you know me, you, and Justin we're all you know relatively young, I guess, but um, but on but on the positive side, you know we're not going anywhere, you know. So if somebody works with us, you know we're we're gonna you know we're gonna be alive and working, you know, just as long as they're alive, um, more than likely. Um, and so I think that's a good thing. I mean, yes, if you go with you know you go with an older advisor, yes, perhaps, you know they have more experience, but you know you don't just don't know how long they're gonna be working. Uh, before they retire yeah. and you know what's going to happen then and you know um, so I think that's a plus so, so like rewind I know we've only got a couple of minutes here but on that note like if you rewind like I don't know 10 20 years in our industry the average financial professional financial advisor was like a 50 year old male or 54 year old male or something there was a statistic from from I don't know, at least a decade ago maybe 15 years ago now there was a survey done not long ago that didn't if you can hear a noise it's uh, our oldest daughter playing uh, beads or something behind me <laughs> there was a survey done two, um, two minutes. I, think, I think it was I think it was a survey done by TD Ameritrade a year or so ago where they surveyed people and they were looking for what do people view what do you, who do you imagine as a financial advisor? Like who's your ideal, what does your ideal financial advisor look like? And it wasn't a 54 year old male, it was a 45 year old female. Hmm. So I was like, woohoo! <laughs> that was great for me. But like there, there's just been a, there's been a little bit of a shift in our, uh, in our industry, like in other industries. But um, I don't know how we got on that topic. Why, why did I even get on that topic? But uh, I guess just under the heading of, of yeah, we are on the younger side. We're younger than your stereotypical financial advisor. But you know what, Kurt, we've been there almost 20 years. And, and you know, there are 50-something financial advisors that can't say that. So that's pretty cool. Uh, I remember we were just talking with our friends about gray hair last night and how I have a ton of gray hair now. And when I first started going gray, which must have been in my mid-30s, I guess, I was like, bring it on. Because uh-huh. <laughs> from a work perspective, it was great to make me look older. And you just look, I don't know, I thought I looked more professional or something and I let that go for several years and then I was like yeah I look old enough anyway <laughs> I'll just start coloring my hair and covering up those grays but uh, anyway nobody's coloring the hair these days but I guess it's time to go 